Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Guys, want to begin with Andy. What's your take and your thought on this news coming down just a couple of moments ago? It's unsurprising news, Gary. We, we figured this was coming. It's also a decision that could very, very easily come back to haunt the Mets. Uh, some of these decisions are, are no-brainers. Uh, Mickey Calloway had to go, for example. That was a totally different scenario. But when you have a developing manager like Luis Rojas, who, yes, we could all quibble with some in-game stuff, uh, but he represented the organization with dignity through some trying times, been with the organization in a lot of different capacities over many years, showed a willingness to collaborate with a new school front office. As Ron Darling so eloquently said during the final Mets game of the year yesterday, uh, you could be letting a future Terry Francona go. So the Mets realized uh, that they decided that they needed to change. Again, this is something that could easily come back to bite them as the years go by. And Luis Rojas goes on to I, I very easily be a successful manager somewhere. Uh, he'd certainly be an asset to the Mets in any capacity. And, and by them risking the probability of losing him, uh, that, that's going to be a blow for the Mets. But I, I certainly agree with Jim. Uh, that he's close to having that seasoning uh, that he would need. And perhaps the only thing he needs to be considered a good major league manager as soon as next season is to get out of this market in New York where as much as we all love it here, and I, I love watching and covering baseball in New York, but one disadvantage of this market uh, is sort of the, the dark side of the passion and knowledge 
of the fans and the media and the public and everyone in this market who obsesses over every move. Uh, we don't really know every in-game move that a Jace Tingler, although he appears to be on the way out, or Tori Lovello or a Dave Roberts or a Don Mattingly, uh, they don't have to submit themselves to this daily autopsy of every single pinch hit decision, every single pitching change. And when, and when just about every manager goes through that, they come up being criticized because these decisions are tough. Sometimes they don't work out. And that's so much of what's gone on with Rojas. He's been criticized for moves that he made or didn't make. I think if he goes to a smaller market and manages as soon as next season and he doesn't have to deal with that scrutiny, he's, he's right away regarded as a top manager. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, October the 9th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, now Amazon Music. Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to thank our partners at the fan-sided podcasting network the good folks over at minute media really appreciate the new partnership great things happening over there check out the rising apple blog risingapple.com and uh some good content for mets fans over there all right we're back and uh well baseball in new york is over thankfully i know some mets fans don't have to hear about the yankees as their season ended it's amazing how the wild card and you fight and you claw and you get into this uh, one game. I'm not for expanded playoffs more than you know the wild card, what it is now, theoretically. But then I look at what the wild card is and I said, well, and, and I know that this is another conversation. That's not what you're here to hear today. That's not what you're, why you want to listen to this one. Anyway, let's, let's, let's put it out there. But maybe a, a playing tournament of like four teams and something like that, you know, maybe, maybe something like that just makes more and more sense to me as I look at like the Dodgers winning on a walk-off team wins 106 games. There has to be a benefit to winning the division, but I think the wild card, maybe the randomness, maybe there'll be more fun having some kind of uh playing tournament. The NBA's playing around with it a little bit. So just something to think about, but Really, when you see the news, and it's not really unexpected, we saw the tea leaves moving. I was hoping that maybe something along the lines of a you know a minor miracle would happen, but the news that Luis Rojas and then sub- subsequently the, the couple of days after his coaching staff were purged, and I think the coaching staff being purged was a good thing. I mean, some of the most brutal third base coaching I've seen maybe in my lifetime, maybe in my lifetime. Um, you know, uh, Chuck Hiller might be Mets fans go back to the 1990 Mets Chuck Hiller might be the worst third base coach in Mets history and I think Mets fans if you want to email me remember that late 1990 Mets team how bad Chuck Hiller was at third base maybe our friend Greg Prince would remember that but I think Gary DeSarcina might have taken the cake I mean nobody ever scored on a single nobody ever scored on a single but anyway Really, as I heard the news of Rojas being dismissed, and there's a lot to that, and obviously, you know, fundamentally, 
the Mets probably needed to do this. And the reason this whole purge never happened is the whole ownership situation. And you still had a core and a team that we all agreed since really the second half with the pitching before that, but in the second half of 2019, as some of the young offensive players emerged that we felt, I felt, were worth investing in. I think Sandy Alderson appropriately in his last press conference of the season said, we're not so sure about those guys anymore. Outside of Brandon Nimmo and Pete Alonzo, you really can't make any declarations about any of these other hitters, J.D. Davis, uh, Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, all these guys we have question marks at. Out of all of them, I, I feel the most confident of McNeil, but you can make a lot of arguments that his game has changed. So you go into this offseason with the desire to clean this thing up and make this the vision of the new owner. Nothing wrong with that. You are going to lose a good baseball guy. There's no doubt about it. And I think you're going to see Louis Rojas resurface somewhere. And I think he's going to have success. And I think you're going to see, maybe not next year, and it may take a couple of years, you're going to see articles out there that are going to question, well, why did this go wrong here? And I'll start a a friend of the show, Adam Henley, uh, at Henley Adam on Twitter. I'll throw a little plug to him. Just a regular fan of the show tweeted out, these numbers, and it really tells you how the margin of error on a baseball team, how thin it is, especially on this team. Zero to one run scores, the Mets were two and 30. You know, you score one run or less, you're not going to win much. The fact that you won a couple of games, you know, you can't win when you score zero. Hard to win when you win one. They won two games, one nothing. Big wins, too. Uh, two to three runs, they were 13 and 36. Four to six runs, they had a 696 winning percentage, 39 and 17, and then seven plus runs, they very rarely lost. 23 and 2 uh, at the end of the d- at the end of the day. So really that 3 to 4 run variance, the Mets average less than 4 runs a game on the season is is where the season was lost because again, you look at everything in front of you, the pitching did de- de- decline in the second half and you lost your ace, an historic ace. The bullpen was good and was managed well throughout a majority of the season. I thought you were saved a little bit by some uh, thrifty depth moves. The depth was pretty good. You know, you got guys like VR and Pilar who were expected to be bench guys but then had to play more. You brought in guys like Billy McKinney and the replacements, and you, you got some good performance out of certain guys. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, that one run, one stinking run that could be scored on a, a single from second base, could have been a sacrifice fly, could have been situational hitting. That's what did Louis Rojas in. Very well... We could be talking about a playoff game today or a playoff series today, but we're not. We're talking about a a potentially good manager from a good baseball family, a loyal employee who went out there and was put in a horrible situation, now is gone, and we're talking about a whole upheaval of the organization and how toxic they are. And Look, there are some things that come with cleaning out the stench of a wacky ownership situation. I mean, that, that was inevitable. But I think that we always tend to go to the extreme. And we're always going to take the extreme bad with the Mets. Because that's the LOL Mets narrative that they don't want. The media doesn't want to go away. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, things are not good. That things are bad. Because they're not. They're, they're, there's a lot of bad here. But I don't think that this is, uh, like I've said many years. And probably if you've been listening for the last six years since I started doing Talking Mets, you've heard it. This is not a hopeless situation. This is a difficult situation. This is a albatross hanging around their necks of failure situation that has to, you know, be addressed. But it's not a hopeless situation. 
I'm not sure. And the big criticism I hear is that the Mets underperformed. And from expectation standpoint, new owner, money, New York, DeGrom, you know, the the buzz with the, the move of Lindor. Yeah, you could say that. But when you start to look at the performance of these core offensive young players, J.D. Davis, we mentioned McNeil, Dom Smith, uh, you know, Conforto, who's in prime, you know, early prime, mid-prime, going into free agency, how badly he performed. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure. I mean, all year we were concerned. We, You know, the run differential and all that stuff, sometimes we like to poo-poo that, myself included. But at the end of the day, it, it kind of came true. So I'm not sure they were as good as we all thought. I think Rojas, uh, you know, certainly had a worse second half than a first half. I think as things got tougher and he was trying to plug the dam, you know, maybe he uh, he made some moves that were questionable. Um, and there's a lot to that. Uh, what I do know is that to say that, you know, Rojas was put in a bad situation by the by the Mets is not inaccurate, but it's unfair. Because the media put the Rojas in that situation. How they do that? They fired Carlos Beltran, who now the same people, one of them, Joel Sherman, who's in the media, it was part of that lynch mob for Beltran to be fired, wants to get him hired as a hitting coach for the Yankees. Could you could you make this up? Could you make this up? Because that's true. Go to the New York Post. I don't even think that New York Post has a uh, Sports Plus now you have to pay for, which is interesting. I actually signed up for it, $5 a month. I'm not pay- not getting paid to promote that. I'm just giving you guys something out there. Um, so the Mets get blamed for being in a situation that they themselves didn't want to be in, and they threw the manager in the fire two weeks before spring training, and then a pandemic hit because that's the Mets' fault. And you have that crazy season, and now you have the ownership change. So timing was bad. Sometimes timing is all what success is about. Players will tell you that. Wrong organization, you get stuck in the minor leagues, you never make it. Right organization, you get a shot, and all of a sudden you're a big leaguer. Same players, same talent level. It's all about timing. Sometimes you're better to be lucky than good. Or you could say, you know, luck is the product of design, you know, whatever. Um... The criticisms of Rojas are funny to me because now we we talk about him being too cozy with the players, uh, about the fact that the the students were running the the clubhouse or the students were running the classroom, and uh, I find it interesting because that's all I hear about from the media. That's all I be I'm preached to. Here I am, all these years yearning. I mean, the kind of managers that I've always liked, Lou Panella. Buck Showalter, Bobby Valentine, all different guys, but discipline and accountability and not being afraid to hurt feelings were all part of those guys' foundations. The discipline and the toughness of a Bill Parcells and a Pat Riley. I keep getting told, that's the, you're a dinosaur. You can't do that anymore. And now the Yankees, they started by hiring an Aaron Boone and the Mets with Mickey Calloway. You have to have a guy that could connect with today's players. Today's players want collaboration. Today's players, you know, want a partnership. They don't want, you know, a dictator. They go out and they hire this guy. And now you're criticizing him because he was too cozy with the players, which was the main concern we had when he was hired is that how do you go from being this quality control coach that is able to sit down, Talk to Pete Alonzo about certain things, and now you have to discipline him. Are you going to be able to bench Robbie Cano when Robbie Cano was part of the roster and things like that? And now that's a that's a problem. 
So you want discipline, but you want it done in a certain way without it being too uh, uh, nasty. And I go back to Tony La Russa, legendary manager in his late 70s, has seen a lot. I mean, there's a guy that some of you listening weren't born when he was managing uh, his first stint with the White Sox. And the Yermen Mercedes situation from earlier in the spring, and I don't know if you know anything about it, but it was a 3-0 count. The kid was hot as a firecracker in April. I think he started the season 8-for-8. Eight eight. It was a guy that's mid-20s, got a shot finally after years in the minor leagues. Swung 3-0. and uh, I believe it was a position player pitching on the mound. And it was a blowout game. And LaRusa didn't like it. Mercedes hit a home run. He was criticized by LaRusa in the media. So that's the other thing. Louis Rojas, you know, doesn't really criticize his players or call out his players. He gets criticized for that. But when LaRusa did it, an experienced Hall of Fame manager, oh, you should have saw everybody was like, how can he do it? That is so ridiculous. Doesn't he know that today's ball player is different? He had the audacity to tell uh, uh, Lance Lynn, You're, you have a locker, I have a, uh, an office, you know, I'm in charge, when you know the players are questioning that. Tim Anderson, they go on uh, Instagram to support their guy. Then the guy retires for a day on Instagram. Typical of today's modern athlete. We're going to go on Instagram to retire. You're a nobody. Does anybody, you know, your men Mercedes never played another uh, game in any level. Nobody would care. All due respect. And it was like, well, if you had a manager that supported him, this wouldn't have come to that. Well, you can't ask for a discipline and accountability culture when every time that happens, the players use their pulpit and the media accentuates that to give them cover. You can't. Have, so this is where I go crazy about this market, and and you hear it a lot. Andy Martino has talked about it. You have every single thing scrutinized in this market over and over and over and over again. Every day, it's like NFL week one, week two, week three. It's the footballization of sports. Baseball is right there now with it. NBA, everything. And I've seen opening day performances by the Mets, the Yankees, bad performances. Oh my God, they're busts. And I know we're in this environment where we're trying to compete for clicks. I get it. But can we grow up a little bit? Really? The thing that both Aaron Loop and Jeff McNeil specifically brought up about leadership, I don't believe was anywhere near a criticism of Luis Rojas about the in-your-face. Now, you could have maybe said, would Rojas go on a, a Zoom call and talk about baseball gym rat, you know, cage rat, maybe that's the right word for baseball, cage rat, process stuff yeah he did i watched those zooms i think he was very honest in his assessment of players without being biting to the media and i think he took very seriously portraying to everybody how difficult it is to be a big league ball player and to understand that some of the things that they're struggling with are normal let's not tar and feather them i think that that came across as a bit of uh cover or excuses Everybody loves Terry Collins. Did Terry Collins ever really discipline anybody? He had some fake outrage in certain press conferences over his tenure. He had veterans like David Wright uh, doing his bidding. Jay Bruce. That's what he was all about. You know, Michael Kadire. That's where Terry Collins, he said, You're this is your clubhouse. You keep the clubhouse clean. I'll work with you. He partnered with a very f- small fraction. 
And the reason he was fired is because he wasn't connecting with everybody. And David Wright's job at that point was to, is not to manage. The veterans want to play. That's fact, man. You could go back and look at it. You know, I just heard Jerry Blevins on Baseball Night in New York talk about how Bob Melvin's the best manager he ever played with. Didn't hear him say Terry Collins. So, I really have to caution everybody as we tar and feather this guy out the door to label him as a bad manager. Because I agree with Andy Martino. He's going to resurface. And he's probably going to be successful. And that one-run difference that undid him is going to go the other way. And all this player-centric, calm, balanced kind of nature that I thought was really needed here, it's all going to be applauded in the media. The same people! Mark my words, the same people. Write it down. You heard it today on October 9th, 2021. But, look, I heard Keith too. There's some legitimate criticisms of Rojas. He didn't like the celebrating on the field. I don't like it either. The home run horse just... You know, Donnie Stevenson, that fake hitting coach, didn't really bother me. It was goofy. Um, But, you know, the, the home run horse and the excessive camera, you know jockeying if that's what you call the instagram jockeying that just drove me crazy now the divide on the staff that that that's the other part of the luis rojas criticism that's on the front office you know normally a coach gets to pick his coaches and then there's usually a front office guy uh, on the staff that's always been the case since the beginning of time now you kind of like gotta work you know maybe you get your bench coach you gotta fight for your guy but you got all these analytics guys I firmly believe when this story is told and we start to really dive into it, they just purge the coaches, the real issue with this offense, and I can't prove this, this is not inside information, nothing like that. The real problem with this offense is that they went from Chili Davis, Zach Scott didn't like the way that Chili Davis used an old school approach, there was not this excessive use of information in meetings, and they went to Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard, and all these guys were, were stuck in a freaking iPad. And video. I remember seeing, I think it was Luis Guillerme, in between pitching changes in a big spot late in the game, standing by the railing with Quattlebaum looking at uh, either video or a heat map or something. And I said to myself, not sure that's the right time to do it. Not sure. You should be getting ready mentally to take the at-bat. So now you just had your classroom work standing on the on-deck circle. Now you step up to the plate, slider, slider, change at fastball, 100 miles an hour, go sit down. And you're like, what? Because you're thinking in your head as that pitch is coming, uh, 48% chance that this is going to be uh, you know, a spin rate of this and it's going to go that way. Go up there and hit. Use your God-given talent. They've created corporate Washington, D.C. bureaucracy in the locker room. And that might not change. Because what they want going forward, these front offices and the Mets are going to be no different whether they hire Billy Bean, they hire uh, an up-and-coming executive, or they go and get someone like uh, Stearns in Milwaukee. They're going to want a manager that can implement an analytics-based game plan. That the manager is going to understand that they only have so much say into certain decisions. He's a middleman. He's going to have to keep that clubhouse clean and make sure that those players stay on point. They had that with Luis Rojas. I understand a new president of baseball operations wants their own guy. But I'm going to ask you this. If they bring in a clone of Rojas, who's whoever, is that really? does it make sense to let this guy go? Is it so impossible 
to say that this was a bad move at that point? Because who are the experienced managers that you're going to bring in that are going to play by that rule 100%? Unless we have a hybrid executive that's willing to change things. Dusty Baker's got a job and doing a great job. I've been a big Dusty Baker critic, but give him credit. He came to a, into a very more talented situation, but a tough situation. Tony La Russa went to Chicago. Joe Girardi, I was all that was the guy I wanted to hire back after the season. I didn't want, you know, Beltron or anybody else like that. Uh having issues in Philadelphia, but look, the Phillies were in it till the end, really. They they went further in terms of uh, mathematically being in it than the Mets, even though they have issues. And their issues may be more player development wise. You've heard some things come out. I mean, you know, Bruce Boche, who knows if he wants to manage anymore, Mike Sosha. What experienced manager is coming here? Buck Showalter, you don't like discipline. And the funny part is, you, the fans, and the media as well, always talk about how smart the Rays are and all the different things they do. You can't handle a new up-and-coming manager because you want instant gratification. You want to analyze everything. And the minute there's a three-game losing, you go, got to move on. Or if they're a good manager, but they don't do well on Zoom or they don't entertain you, then you don't like them. It changes every day. It's the weather vane. That's what the new president of baseball operations is coming into. That's what the new manager is coming into. You better hope it's a special person. Really, you got to hire someone experienced because you're going to have to have a thick skin. And at some point, and I've been saying this over and over and over and over again, somebody has to, and Cohen is ultimately going to have to learn this. I know he wants to crowdsource a lot of stuff on Twitter. That's fine. But you want to crowdsource your team, you're going to crowdsource your way into losing. Because, believe me, there ain't many people that can manage their own affairs on Twitter, much less manage the affairs of a a $3 billion business or a $3 billion company like the Mets are. You need someone that has to be able to tell people it's my way or the highway and be confident that they will get the job done. Because once they get the job done, nobody will touch them. Also, if I'm in that spot... I got to do a little bit of what Brian Cashman does. You're going to have to start throwing some meat and potatoes to the media so that they support you. Because the people that get supported in this town, make no mistake about it, they feed their the key reporters, whether it's on the beat or their columnists, with information. That's why they'll get supported. That's nothing that's revelatory. You guys should see that. Watch it. Watch, watch across town with Cashman and Boone. Watch who supports them, despite the fact that they have as many issues as the Mets and may not have some of the, uh, I think, assets. The Mets have some really good top-of-the-chain prospects that the Mets do, at least offensively. We'll see. So, look, I to really recap, and I'm going to let, let you know what guests we have coming up because it's a good one. It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, Luis Rojas is a good baseball guy. Uh, the criticisms of how he managed, I think, are fair, but I think are things that would have been correctable with time, and I also think are things that are part and parcel to what today's society is. I think it's a lot of second-guessing. I understand a new uh, clean slate for a new president of baseball operations, but boy, I have to tell you, the stuff I see, you guys are not ready 
to handle any kind of adversity in this town with a new president of baseball ops and a new manager. And that person really has to have thick skin because that yoke, that media yoke, that fan yoke, that legacy of disappointment that's hanging around that person's neck is heavy. And it gets heavier, heavier every day, and it gets heavy really quick. The Met honeymoon lasted, what, a month with Cohen? Maybe it lasted to January. Porter and, and Scott just, you know, look, Porter was one thing. Maybe part of Zach Scott, what happened? I, I, I'm just speculating here. Maybe the pressure got to him. This is a, you know, a rewarding job. You make a ton of money, a ton of celebrity status. But guess what? It does not come without its dark side. It's not free. Nothing is ever free. You guys know that. You know that very well. If you've been uh, have any kind of life experience, you know that. Mets are a business-like vanilla team. I know that people want that fiery, that clubhouse leader. I mentioned what Loop and McNeil are talking about. They don't have those kind of guys. The manager wasn't going to make that up. By the way, Davey Johnson was a player manager. So, you know, a lot of what you've seen out there is a lot of stuff thrown out there, narratives. Some of this stuff is hard to correct. What, you want Lindor to be different than who he is, which is a likable guy? Kind of a little goofy, a showman with the the flash. Uh, you know, some people like his leadership style. Some see it's inauthentic. No, Bruce Boche coming here is not going to change that. You want those other kind of players? Well, are they available? Are they going to want to play here? Can they play here? That has to be developed sometimes organically. David Wright, I hear how great a leader David Wright was. I remember having this conversation in 07, 08, 09. The same conversation we're having today was the same. It was was happening back then. So you know, history repeats itself. Anyway, can't wait till our next guests, Kevin Kernan, Bull Nine, long time New York Post columnist, forty plus years, America's most beloved sports writer. He's going to join us. What does he see? What can the what what's going on here? He's a big critic of analytics. He's a big critic of how we manage and discipline people these days. Kevin always shoots it straight. He has no filter. He's not worried about people disliking him. He's not worried about protecting sources. He just wants to go out there and tell it like it is. I have a feeling he's going to let us know what the Mets need to do. And if I were the Mets and I were Sandy Alderson, I would listen. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast, part of the fan-sided podcasting network. We'll be back with Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. That and more right after this. You mentioned in the in the last segment that he didn't throw his players under the bus. Basically, what Andy's saying is his choice not to do that may have been an issue through some of his reporting that that he wasn't that he was so much the player first guy that he wasn't going to be there saying to the media that they're wrong in this case or to how them you, privately. Yeah, and how do you how do you view it? Uh, first of all, like the they played better after the thumbs down fiasco. So if there's anything to be said about that. I mean, the, that's results-based. That fired up some type of fervor inside of them. So I don't think that is, has anything to do with Luis Rojas. And as far as, you know, the rat raccoon thing, uh, again, maybe Andy's hearing something that, that makes more sense about that than, than I am because he's tapped in. But all I know is that a lot of guys feel responsible for him getting fired. It's the same thing with Chili Davis. It was the players' underperformance that caused this, I don't think they would ever feel like 
for a player manager, like you feel like you're letting a guy like that down when you underperform as a player. He's putting you in a position to be successful. And if you don't come through, not only do you feel feel bad for the fans and for your teammates, you feel bad for that guy that really believes in you and trusts in you. So as far as being a, a player's manager in today's day and age where there is no real discipline that can be handed down from a manager besides playing time and that kind of thing, you want to make sure that your superstar players are keeping guys in line. And if that's not happening, that, that goes above the manager in my viewpoint. Jerry, I, I strongly agree with you on that. And, and to be clear, it's not that players were ever accused of actively undermining, undermining Rojas with what they were doing. It's more that you had the students running the school a little bit this year was the accusation that came my way. And I agree with you. That's a culture that goes beyond the manager, but it's one that ultimately I think the manager, uh, it, it cost Rojas in this case. We're back, and joining me, you guys know him, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, Ball Nine, also part of the Aaron Rodgers Sports Database. We'll have him give you a little plug there later on on that. And Kevin, welcome to the program. Uh, postseason baseball, not here in New York. I'm going to start with this. Luis Rojas gets fired, and here's what I've been hearing. Uh, and you've been writing a ton of stuff over at Ball Nine about leadership and organizations and whatnot. He was too player-friendly. He didn't have enough fire and emotion. All the things that I was told for so long are necessary to be a manager in 2021 with the modern player. We're now criticizing, and I'm confused because where do we go from here? Um, I understand cleaning out the organization, but I think the Mets lost a good baseball man. I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, Louie's Louis been in that organization for many years. Does a great job uh, as an organizational guy to love. You know, remember when he was hired, all the players praised him as kind of guy that would listen Here's the thing, Mike, and um, it goes much bigger than, 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 than Louis Rojas. Louis Rojas, you know, he's Felipe Alou's kid. I know Felipe well. Talked to him about Louis when he got the job. Spent two hours with Louis at a Starbucks in Port St. Lucie talking baseball with Louis. Um, they didn't let him manage. It's really that simple. I mean, the nerds were in charge. Every time, all you need to know, and this is simple for everybody, I know, I know we're not on a, on a Zoom here, but, um, uh, you know, a picture Zoom, video Zoom, but I want you to paint a picture. When you watch the, the Mets games on TV, when they have the hitter, uh, pan to the hitter at bat, and you can see inside the uh, Mets dugout, what do you see? Here's what you see. And this is what makes me different than other writers because I, I see it all. I see it all and I know how to act. When I, when I used to get to uh, City Field or Shea Stadium all the time, I would sit all the way down the third baseline away from the other writers so I could look into the Mets dugout. The Mets dugout tells you as much as what's on the field. So here's what you see. You see Louis Rojas, a guy who grew up in baseball, who was at his father's games when he was like eight or nine years old in West Palm Beach, Florida State League games, spent his whole life in the game. You see Louis Rojas with his head down looking at sheets of paper. Mm. Always. He never was watching the freaking game because the nerds had inundated him with so much information. And I will say bad information. Uh, you're seeing it in the postseason. It's still baseball stuff that wins baseball games. So Rojas, and this is where I fault him. And I would tell him right to his face. So it's not nothing I wouldn't say right to his face. He let them run him around instead of him being the boss. He should at some point just fought back and said, no, I want to do it this way. We got to do it this way. You know, even, even so far as, you know, do, do more of his gut feeling. 
So even though, and I agree with you, he's a good baseball man, and he seems like he got stiff, he let it happen to himself. So in that way, he should be blamed. You got to have the courage of your convictions, you know, and um, no matter what job you have, especially these days. And um, if you don't have the courage of your convictions, if you're going to, if you're going to follow along, if you're going to be sheep, then, you know, you're going to the slaughter at some point, especially if you're a manager. And that's what happened to Louis Rojas. I hope when he gets his second job, I hope he gets a second job. I hope he learns from this. And I hope he, uh, I hope he uh, really, uh, you know, brings more of Louis Rojas to the game instead of looking down at sheets. I, I mean, I, I was amazed almost every time, not every time, but almost every time. And then the game, it was either two games before the end of the season or the last game. It really struck me because, again, the camera was panning the dugout, but this time they were panning the dugout. And Louie was in a very animated conversation laughing with Marcus Stroman. And I'm saying to myself, where has that been all, you know, all this time? And clearly at that point, Louie knew he was gone, so he said the hell with it, and he was just being himself. Be yourself. Use the analytical data. Don't be driven by it and move forward. That's what happened to Louie Rojas. And you bring this up, and, and I said this in the open uh, on that point. I look at this offense, and really the, the, the downfall of the Mets, it's offense. If you go to when they scored four or more runs, they're a 700-win percentage team. The bullpen was managed well, I thought. I thought he did well. The pitching dropped off with the Grom, uh, but it was okay. Uh, I thought that you know when they scored four runs, they were golden. And to on that point, and I wasn't at the game, I remember sometime in July – a pitching change is being made, and Luis Guillerme is the pinch hitter. And on the on-deck circle, I see Hugh Quattlebaum hanging over the railing with the iPad, yep. going through, I don't know, video, heat map. I have no idea. I talked to a Hall of Famer uh, recently, and I said, would you have been okay with that? They said no. And I think, look, I'm a Sandlock guy. I'm a, Cath- a CYO guy. I- I'm, no- I'm a nobody. I was so much about focusing at, at a young age, even in my teenage years, I would not be comfortable looking at data. I mean, even when you're in another business, do you go before a meeting and after you've prepped, do you start looking at stuff again in, in, in depth? Of course not. You're a writer. You start writing. You start going at it. You got to trust your preparation. That data innuendated with them, I think, is why they struggled offensively. I can't prove it, but it's got to take part in it. Well, here's how you prove it. Michael Conforto, at the end of the year, flat out said, you know, I had too many things going on. I was thinking too much mechanically. I was thinking this, thinking that. That's that's code. You know, that's code for the nerds were giving me too much information and weren't letting me just react to my skills. But suppose he hits a three, uh, hits a home run last night. In, you know, one hop into the, into the water out in San Francisco on a three zero pitch because he he gets ahead of the count. You know, he's looking for something he can elevate. Hits it the other way. The ball's juice, so it'll go further than ever did in his lifetime. And um, and uh, and uh, he gets a home run. He's not thinking at that point. Uh, you know, Walker Buehler through and oh, you know, he throws a changeup sometimes. Right. He does. He's not. You, you can't let any of that get into your head, especially at this level. People don't realize how hard this game is, and that's why I've always had a great relationship with players because I've always realized how hard this game is. I played it through college. All my kids played through college. Um, two sons and a daughter, and I know how hard the game is. And 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 if you make the game harder for your players, then then you're going to lose. And that's not only the Mets did that, the Yankees did that. So many teams do that. It's the Alex Cores of the world. Uh, and, you know, I've always been a big backer of Alex even with the cheating scandal. It's it's all those people who understand the game that put their players in the best reaction. Like 
Like I, I, I was not surprised that the um, the Rays won Game One because I think it took so much. And I, I, I was texting with Alex after that uh, win over the Yankees, and he said, "Kevin, that was the hardest game I ever managed in my life." Wow, that's quite a statement. That's, that's a, statement. a very bold statement. I thought that was an easy win in a lot of ways. If you think about no, it, no, but he, you know, having to take out Ovaldi when he did, realizing you know, it's it's a totally different game when it's that one game, and uh, and he did a great job with that. That game, he managed a great game. So I figured they would be flat coming out, and 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 the Rays are good. Don't don't get me wrong, the Rays are really good. And uh, but to come back and win that second game in the manner that they did, that's that's a credit, you know, to Alex Cora. That's a credit to Kevin Cash that, that you know they they won the first game. We're ready for that first game. You know, this will probably go five this series. These managers, most of these managers in the playoffs really uh, put their players in the best position to win. Dusty Baker's always done that, you know. Um, uh, And there will be mistakes made because it's baseball. It's not perfect. It's like somebody told me the other day, I thought it was a great comment. They said uh, they're trying to make uh, an imperfect game perfect. That's what the nerds try to do. Sure. And I want to make this clear because people don't understand it. They're actually so, so dumbass that they don't understand this. I respect some of the nerd things that the Rays do, but they don't do as many nerd things that you would expect. There is room for nerds in the game, but you got to, like I always say, keep them in the corner, let them drink their Mountain Dew, you know, do their thing, and uh, give you some stats. But they don't make command decisions. Even Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler is a totally different manager now than he was in Philadelphia. That's interesting. He actually said he learned to watch the game more. That's what my point on. Louis Rojas you have to watch the game and react to the game that's out in front of you I've only been doing this you know my, my high school reunion was supposed to be today 50th high school reunion unfortunately got postponed um but you know I've only been doing this for 50 years like really involved with baseball so I think I know what I'm talking about and anybody there's so many people that are trying to give you information um in the media that is just trying to help somebody else out they're not giving you true information when I say something, I'm saying it from the heart, and most of the times it proves to be true. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm wrong sometimes, you know. I, I admit it here and there, but but you know, I think I'm, I'm probably bad about 800, you know. And uh, it's like I, I won't mention the coach, but the coach a few years ago, we we didn't really get along. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't really friendly with him. Late in the year, he pulls me aside, uh, pulls me aside before a game in a dugout, and he goes, Kevin, I got it. You got a second? And usually when you hear Kevin, you got a second. I mean, somebody's going to yep. rip you. You know. So I said, you know, what, do you, what do you got? And um, I don't want to mention his name. But he goes, and this is like September. And he goes, Kevin, I got to tell you, I've been reading your stuff all year. You're right a lot of time. You're right about 80% of the time or more. That's, <laughs> he says, that's incredible for a writer. I said, yeah, I am. You know? <laughs> you know? So my, my point is, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm seeing. There are too many people in the game now who don't know what they're talking about. The, the, the thing I always say, the people in ba- the problem with baseball is too many people in baseball don't know baseball. And it's so funny that Rojas gets accused of being too close to his players. Well, who's too close to the players with the Mets? I'll tell you who's too close to the owner. Yep. He's having dinner with people all the time and stuff right. like that. And that's fine. He's the owner. I've always said this about owners. And this is another thing where I draw a line, which is people can't see everything's black and white. They can't see the gray. I have no problem with, with Cohen. You know, he's spending all this money. He's a great – he loves the Mets. Why not have dinner with these guys? But be very careful. You don't let these guys influence your decision-making. 
You take the information like he does in his real business and works off it, but don't let them get those guys influence the information. Don't let Francisco Lindor tell you how you should run your team because he's making $341 million. And that's, that's, that's a very dangerous slippery slope for Cohen. That's why I think it's very, this, this, this next hire is huge. You couldn't screw up. Uh, you couldn't screw up more than the Mets screwed up this year. It's really, right. and like you say, just score some more runs. You know, if they had one, one with, score from days. second on a single score from second on a single, a sacrifice fly, the margin of error. This is why I, I look at this roster and there's issues on the roster. And even if they had done some of those things, they're probably in the playoffs and they're probably uh, without the Grom, they can't win, but they were always a tournament team. I said, this was a team that if they got into the tournament with the Grom was dangerous. Like the giants, a couple of giants championships were like that. But you know, you talk about the thing about being too player friendly but when a manager, Tony La Russa, goes after a player, the Mercedes incident, there's all this outrage about it. And you force the guy to retire. Um, you can't have it both ways. And, and what you're talking about, watching the game, telling uh, ownership or front office to go, you know, fly a kite. There's only a few managers left like that. Dusty, Buck Showalter probably would be like that. Uh, Girardi. Uh, they're not going to manage forever, Kevin. So... Does this town have the stomach for a new manager that may be like that? Because the answer is probably not. Now, if it's Dusty Baker type, he could tell these guys to go fly a kite, the media, me, you, and they're set. But if you want to get that next-gen person, I don't know the Mets are the place to do it. And I don't think they're going to be allowed to do it. Now, Sandy Alderson is only so much of the decision. I guess that plays into the president of baseball operations. But what you're saying is success I'm not sure we're able to have that here in New York. I guess that's where I'm going. No, I think you can have it here in New York, and I think it can be pretty easy because pretty, for the most part, the players are insulated more than they've ever been insulated. The fact you can't be in the clubhouse as writers is still ludicrous. Ludicrous. And I don't and, think that's going to change next year. Do you? Do you? No, uh, I don't think it's going to change either, unfortunately, or it will never be the same. But if, you, if you're in a clubhouse, you see things – you know, I got 90% of my stories from just seeing things in the clubhouse or talking to people and they reveal things. So if, if, if you get to see how the team is inner workings of the team is, so that, so that's a problem right there. But getting back to how New York, if you do the, if you do baseball things, then if the game is simple, you mentioned base running, that's a big, big problem with me. These teams are just so bad at base running. They think it's like going in the bathroom and turning on the hot water taking a shower. You can't do that. You have to practice base running. I, and again, I've been around forever. No one practices anymore except for a very uh, few teams. Um, and, and, and you, it, the, the reads that these players get is just pathetic. They don't do a, first of all, they don't have a, a secondary lead. Um, you know, uh, I think you've seen that in the Yankee series. Mm-hmm. You know, guys should have scored standing up from first base. You know, I, you know, I love Aaron Judge. I love the way he plays the game. I think he got caught in a moment excited. If you watch the overhead replay of that, his first move is up, looking at the ball. Right. And then well, they all look, they all do that. They all they look all at the do. ball too much. you got to well, jump out of box. Like the good ones score. The good ones score. And you saw it. Uh, you see how the Rays run the bases. Uh, the Red Sox run the bases uh, pretty well. Alex made that a, a thing. Um, running the bases, I said this seven, eight years ago, was going to be the new steroid. It's still the new steroid. Very few teams do it. Infield, defense. 
Uh, last day of the season was very telling. The Rays took a 35-minute, I think, infield. The Yankees didn't. The Yankees are a country club. And if people can't, and if they don't like hearing that, I don't care. If the Yankee people think I'm picking on them, I don't care. They're a country club. They're a team that has um, arrogance beyond arrogance. And I'm not talking about the players. You know, it's too humbling a game to be arrogant. But the front office, management, Boone, uh, you know, Boone was a much different guy as an ESPN announcer. Now he, he talk about just, uh, you know, he just, uh, he, whatever they want him to do, he does, and he makes excuses for them. Um, their arrogance will, uh, beat them. Their arrogance beat them. And uh, their lack of attention to detail, running the bases, uh, putting the ball in play, Gary Sanchez, Buster Posey, Gary Sanchez. Look at the difference right there. You know, uh, you know, those are the unique uh, Molina. Molina did a great job. Molina and Wainwright, even though they didn't advance, but they gave the Dodgers a hell of a game. 0 for 11, by the way, runners in scoring position, Cardinals. Yep. Which is another, it's another albatross hanging around the uh, baseball. Well, think, think about the Mets when they played a little bit better in September, albeit against bad teams. They were running. Pilar was running. VR was running. Lindor was running. And somebody said to me, well, where was all these stolen bases early in the year? Now, I know there's all these soft tissue muscle issues, and that's a whole other story. Uh, to me, that's the front office saying we don't steal bases. That's got to exactly. All of a sudden, you're going to tell me uh, August 15th, they say, well, let's." they probably said we got to try to manufacture. They were desperate. Now, if they had done that all year and put pressure on the opposition, uh, I'm not expecting the 85 Cardinals, but... These are simple things. It's really a lot of simple things. So you mentioned Theo Epstein in a Ball 9 article a couple of weeks ago. Theo and the Mets were not a fit. It, it probably makes sense. What, you know, Coming here is similar to going into the Red Sox, I believe, in 2000. Huge yoke around someone's neck. A lot of negativity. A lot of uh, you know cooks in the kitchen. A lot of people trying to undermine you. It's going to take a special person. Is that Billy Bean? Is that a first-time uh, executive? Where do you see it going now? Because Theo was the first guy you mentioned. Now you hear Billy Bean, but is is that even realistic? Well, I, I put Theo out there simply because I know Theo so well. And, um, you know, and Theo's, right. you know, got his issues too. Don't, don't get me wrong. Look at, uh, right. and he left the Cubs a mess, an absolute right. mess. He got out of the Red Sox when he had to get out. Um, some of the moves made that he was credited for with the Red Sox, he had nothing to do with. But you can't he take took, away. He took Dombrowski. He took Duquette's team. Remember, that's that's that was a lot of Duquette in that Not team only too. Duquette's team, but he, you know, David Ortiz. Other people were pushing for David Ortiz when Theo was pushing for Jeremy Giambi. Mm-hmm. Now again, that but that's again that's that's a sign of a good organization. So that's not a real knock against Theo. I mm-hmm. mean, they did get Ortiz, so you know they they let him into the organization. But my point is, don't credit him. Don't make him the be-all, end-all of, of GMs. Right. Like, I joked with him once. This was in Chicago. And again, he, he broke two curses. So, you know, you can't take, take that away from him. I think the Mets would have been a great place for Theo simply because he has the ego to handle New York. And you've got to have the ego to handle New York. And I think he's learned through the years to rely a little bit more on baseball people and a little bit less on nerds. So that's why I was pushing for Theo. It would have been interesting him and, and the owner – uh, that's why it didn't happen. I never really expected it to happen. It's one of those stories that's too good a story to pass up and write. Right. So, and why not put the pressure on Theo and the Mets and get this thing going? And that's that's sure. what happened. They they sure. they met. They figured they won a match. And uh, again, this is a. I can't tell you who they're going to hire. 
If they hire Billy Bean is a good good baseball man. And I'll go into the archive. You advocated. If I'm tell me if I'm wrong. I remember ten years ago before Alderson, you had a New York Post article. You had spoken to Billy, and I remember talking to you, and you said it's not as unrealistic as you think. And that's ten years ago. I don't know if you remember that piece. I remember it. Yeah, no, I do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've had a great relationship with Billy through the years. But again, I call it like I see it. Billy's kind of got sidetracked with soccer or whatever. Billy gets mm. a life, family, you know, and uh, Billy has, a, has the greatest situation in the world there. But even Billy has to get frustrated at some point with, uh, yeah, he's living a good life, but he's not getting what he really needs. The Mets will give him what he needs. I think Billy Bean would be a great hire if Billy Bean works like a young Billy Bean at it, you know, and really, really, um, really, really takes it to heart. Uh, that's the challenge. Does he still have that in him at this age? I think he would. I think New York would uh, would uh, invigorate him and it would be it would be an interesting hire. And you can't question. And you know what else for Billy Bean's legacy? Hey, Billy Bean hasn't won squat, you know, so he needs to win a championship. You know, right. so if he win, if he wins a championship, then maybe he deserves the move money ball. You know, but at this point, it's just a, yeah, that, you know, in that classic book movie, guy's a great writer. I get it. Michael Lewis. But, you know, he forgot about the three pitchers and he forgot about the shortstop, MVP shortstop. Those are the guys that made the team. So, that uh, you know, Billy would be interesting. I got the feeling, just a gut feeling that um, that it's going to be um, it's going to be someone that Cohen could really hang with. So what mm. would that be? You know, all these billionaire type guys like Cohen, they're high energy guys. So it's going to have to be a really high energy person, I think, that can deal with it. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, and I never pretend to say I know this guy's own because I got to be, you know, because I piss off so many people, they're not, they don't tell me, you know. So uh, <laughs> I don't play the game. No, I don't play the game. And, uh, and, um, you know, when uh, other people play the game, that's that's how they get where they are. You know, like, like I was joking earlier, but I said, you know, you're not going to see me on MLB Network because yep. I call them out. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't kiss their butt. And and so I, I think Cohen's really this is the this is the hire of his lifetime, really. I mean, right. And you then, mentioned something very interesting. If Billy is distracted and just using that as an example with other things and a guy who's had a legacy comes here for the money without the grit, the grit, the grind it out, the things that made him who he is, it's going to be a bad fit and it's going to go bad quickly. And that's the concern. If I'm Cohen, are you taking my money and do you want to write a book and retire on my money or do you really want to do this? And I'm not sure he's, in this game enough to understand that. Now I know he clearly understands that in his real business and there's transferable skills there, but um, you know, you also got Sandy Alderson and there's that incestuous good old boys network. You know, can he make a, a that kind of decision? You know, Sandy's decision-making hasn't been great for a while. I mean, let's, let's face it here, Kevin. So I worry that you have to placate, the, and, and there was an article uh, by another writer that said, in New York, you can't just make baseball decisions like the Rays. You have to factor in the marketing aspect of the, of the, of the market. And that's where we're at. And that's, that stinks. But, Kevin, is that wrong? Because that's what the problem with this market is. It's not just about baseball anymore. You can't well, be the Rays here, no matter what they say. And then you well, have a guy come well, here, take problem, your money. Mike. That's the problem, Mike. You need to be the Rays. No one has the guts, like I said earlier. No one has the guts 
to be the Rays. And by the, being the Rays, I mean, here's what I mean about the Rays, because everybody gets the wrong uh, impression. The Rays have actually pulled away from uh, a lot of the uh, nerd stuff. But the Rays are the very best in development scouting, very best. They pay their scouts. They pay their uh, development people. They don't leave. They like the lifestyle living, you know, in, in the Sarasota area in Florida. No real pressure. And they, you know what they do? They hold their players accountable. And you see it as the Rays come up. These right. kids know how to play baseball. You watch Kevin Kermar catch a ball, even to this day, right. in center field. It's two hands, even if it's right. an easy catch. They do things the right way. Uh, the, the Luke Lau guy, kid, they just, uh, the kid, they trade, they make good trades. Uh, Rose Arena. How about the Rays? And this is why I disagree with you on this. You can't do Rays things. Could you imagine if the Mets had, had a Rose Arena and Wander Franco? How exciting would that be? Instead, sure. they got, instead they got Lindor, who's at the peak right. of his career, maybe, who's, right. he tried to swing for home runs when he shouldn't be. So he needs to get it together too. Right now, in my mind, he's you know he's probably the most overrated player in New York. Uh, they they have some other issues coming up where I don't want to get into now. I'll write about uh, later in the year. They have health issues. They don't they can't stay healthy. I remember being in the clubhouse in Port St. Lucie, the old clubhouse where Sandy gave a big speech about we're going to figure out what these Tommy John injuries are all about. We're going to figure out what these all injuries are about. We're not and we're going to basically get eradicate them as much as we can. They they've gotten worse. They've gotten they've gotten worse. Yeah, yeah. they've gotten. And, and, and let's remember worse. something. Degrom Degrom is self made because yes. people think you know Dan Worthen. Degrom listened to the John Smoltzes of the world. He went yes. outside of the Mets thing. Okay, this, the credit for the Worthens and Kyle that that had nothing to do with Degrom. Go, you don't even have to have inside information. Just read read. You know, you could learn a lot by reading, and obviously there's. Writers like yourself that have good information. But if you go across history, just read through the lines. We read headlines now. And that's the problem. We read headlines. Headlines, you don't write the headline. Somebody else does. And the headline's meant to market and capture. DeGrom is self-made. And um, you're right. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of development here. Now, they got some young hitters. We'll see if that trend, you know, Alvarez, Mauricio, Beatty. But the development of has been really bad for a long time. Uh, you know, think about it. You know, the, the Mets have not really done good at player development. Well, and the Yankees, too, because they both get caught in the same thing. The Yankees' development has been dreadful. Right. Sanchez has gone backwards. Labor Torres has gone backwards. But that's what happens when you play players out of position, like the, right. getting back to the Yankees' arrogance, thinking that Labor could be a shortstop. In my last article, one of my last articles for, for Ball 9, I pointed out that, you know, shortstop, it's not the NFL. Shortstop is not a zone defense position. <laughs> zone, yeah. I saw that. I saw That's that. They've tried to make it into. You think Xander Bogart? Xander Bogart is the closest thing to Jeter in the game right now. You know, the way mm-hmm. he plays the game. And that's why the Red Sox are where they are. I, I was on the Rob Dibble show uh, the day of the playoff game with the, uh, uh, with the Yankees, the wild card game. And I predict, he asked me what's going to happen. I said, Xander Bogart's going to be key to the game, offense, defense. Because I knew Martinez was out, and I knew they had to have somebody to hit behind Devers, and and he he stepped it up and got it done. Those are the kind of players you need, and that's what I'm talking about. With the, in a lot of ways, we're seeing a reemergence of veteran players. You know, uh, the, the 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 Giants, for all the credit they're giving, you know, the new regime, it's the old regime that makes it. It's difference. the veterans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will credit though. How about this? We can talk about the Mets. How the hell did the Mets not trade for Chris Bryant? That was the most obvious trade in the history of trades. And for them not to trade for Chris Bryant was pathetic. 
I mean, I mean, there was reports that the Cubs didn't like the Mets prospects. I will say this. How you can always get better prospects. If you want a guy, you can, that's the problem with Brian Cashman. Prospect too. hugging. Everybody yeah, knows prospect. That's oh, and prospects are gold. And all the writers that are, 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 are just like, oh, we can't trade. Yes, they're just prospects. Who cares? How did the well, Mets what, win the second World Series? They won the second World Series because um, uh, uh, Jerry Capstein, who was in charge at the time, and, and, and Bill LaJoy traded Hanley Ramirez for Mike Lowell and Becky. Mm-hmm. That's how they won the second. You you have to give up something to get something. And that's right. why if the, if the Mets had traded for Chris Bryant, I think they would, could have won the division. I really do. You have, you can say that defense now, I mean, if, if there's any question, defense is important. Like Baez or not, those two guys, Lindor and Baez up the middle. And even McCann, see, to me, everybody criticizes McCann, but McCann overpaid. They, they jumped the market there. But what he gives you defensively and, and managing that pitching staff, I'm not upset about the offense. I don't care about the money. That's a whole different conversation. So they have good defense up the middle. Uh, do you keep that with Baez? Baez is a tempting situation. But like you said earlier, he's his buddy, uh, Lindor's buddy. That could go horribly uh, bad. That could go terribly well, if that's the way to put it. Uh, that's almost like it's interesting. This offseason can swing. Uh, forget the present baseball operations. If Cohen is is got Lindor's in Cohen's ear, Baez and, and Lindor will be the bedrock of this uh, this team for five six years. Yeah, you Lindor for ten. Both those guys, and again, Baez is more of a follower than a leader. So mm-hmm. in the right situation, he'll be fine. Don't, don't, and the Mets don't, don't have that kind of leader. You're saying at that point that that people could follow. Well, Lindor is the leader, so we see where it goes. Lindor has a. I like Lindor personally. Went through the years in Cleveland. I had a good, good relationship with him. I thought he was a very um, smart kid. And he didn't um, know what he was getting into here. He no, didn't realize. No he he didn't also know. didn't have Terry Francona. Terry Francona was a great, a great uh, help to Lindor. My point on bias is this: Don't count the Yankees out on bias. The Yankees mm-hmm. need the Yankees. What do the Yankees love to do? They love to splash a little bit. They don't splash mm-hmm. like they used to. They need a shortstop. They need a base running help. I know he's a good base runner. So uh, he checks, as they say, uh, as the, the the nerdy writers say, he checks a lot of boxes. So so, um, so uh, you know. So Baez at, with the Yankees to me is is not out of the question either, and that would be an intriguing hire. Uh, uh, we'll see where it goes. That's the the point is both you can change teams around so quickly now. Yep. Uh, if you know what you're doing and. And that's the thing. That's why we get back to the point, do they know what they're doing? The Yankees have proven to us time and again, they really don't know what they're doing. Um, they, they're into it. They're, uh, Brian Cashman, all the years knowing Brian, once Stick Michael died, he lost his, his, his uh, kind of like... His consigliere. He lost, yeah, he lost his consigliere. Yep. Yeah, and he never really picked up another one that was so baseball-oriented, and that's his problem. And uh, that's what, again, I would tell Brian to his face. We'd have a nice screaming match, but that would be okay. And then, um, and, and uh, you know, so, so that's, that's where we are. You can change these teams quickly if you make the right moves. And here's the key. Got to bring in the guys with the right head, not only for New York, but the guys who want to improve and get better every day. I just, I just listened to Brandon Crawford talking about how they take infield or they work on grounders every day with mm-hmm. Ron Wotus. 
And that's the thing I saw with both the Mets and the Yankees. They don't work. They don't work mm. as hard as they should. Um, you go to Met, a Yankee spring training is like a country club. I mean, uh, they got, they got some, uh, they got the hill. They make a big deal about the hill and this and that. But how many times you see them actually doing infield? How many times you see them doing base running? Uh, a good friend of mine made a great point to me the other day. The Yankees need to hire people in the organization who are not compliant, who want to make these players better and work them hard. That's the key for the Yankees. Can they do it? I don't know. We'll see, but it gives us plenty to write about. As we wrap up here, Steve Cohen, uh, I hear all these concerns that potential executives have with him because of the tweeting. Uh, you know, I think sometimes people get carried away with stuff that like Twitter doesn't really matter. It could be dangerous. I get it. Um, do you see Cohen, even though with all this money now, the Mets got their dream, is Cohen an impediment? Because, and I don't believe his Bobby Axelrod billions background is really what concerns people, unless it's accountability. And accountability comes with the territory. I'm sorry. There's no way you could justify a five, six year reboot here. Uh, the brand can't survive it with the Yankees and other uh, activities, and nor should they with Cohen's money do that. So what are your thoughts on Cohen specifically and why there's this perception of this guy's a problem? Well, first of all, you can reboot very quickly here. Like I was saying, if you have the right people in charge and can teach the right things, he's not a problem. And, and his, he, 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 if you let him be a problem, he'll be a problem. But if you have people doing their job that stand up to him, he's not a problem and let him tweet all he wants. It doesn't matter. Tweet. Like you said, Tweeting is like uh, Twitter is is like the biggest joke in a, in, in the world right it's now. It's not the real world. It's not, it's the, not real world. the real world exactly. And I see it all the time. Uh, you, you, you know, you get trolled. You know what? You mute the trolls. You don't even react to them. Let them speak into a little world where, where nobody sees them, or, or you know, they, they just want to hook onto you and, and try to get their count up. So, so I think if you talk to any baseball guy, he would say, "I want an owner who wants to spend money." It really comes down to that. It's their job to control that owner, spend the money wisely, and build the kind of brand and organization he wants. He has said he wants to be like the Dodgers. I, I would, Stan Kasten does a great job with the Dodgers as team president, and that's that's one of the things. That's why the Dodgers are good. Uh, we'll see what kind of adjustments the Dodgers make. But he wants to be like the Dodgers. But, again, I would recommend him be more like the Rays, be more flexible. That's the biggest thing I see with both the Yankees and Mets. They become inflexible with the players they have. And once you become inflexible, you can't improve. You, you're always counting on Conforto to come mm-hmm. through. And Conforto could be a really good player. I think he turned a ton, uh, I think he made a mental adjustment at the end of the year where he's going to rely on his own skills, which is the way it should have been from day one. And, uh, but, but so, so, so if you do that, you, you're going to come forward. The Mets, the, the other thing with the Mets is what kind of young pitching do they have coming? Because I think this was a this was a forewarn foreshadowing. Losing Degrom, mm-hmm. losing Degrom shows you what the future could be, and uh, and you gotta you gotta overcome that. You can't again. What did they do? They rely on Degrom. They rely on Conforto, McCann. I'm I'm gonna disagree with you at one point on McCann, and and he may not like hearing this, but you know, truth hurts. Watch him. I'm close from the outfield. The ball skips away a lot. He's got almost a yippy thing where he doesn't catch balls from the outfield. Now, maybe he can work on that, but get yourself, hire yourself a great catching instructor. The, um, the uh, White Sox did that uh, this year, uh, and they made it to the postseason. 
Um, a great catching instructor makes a world of difference. And that's what I think with the, with the Yankees and the, <clears throat> certainly the Yankees. I mean, the Sanchez thing is just, it's almost comical now. You know, it, it, is there a less interested guy in baseball than Gary Sanchez? Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he gets the one, he, he, who, who would have thought that, it, okay, you're playing a, a, a winner go home game. Who would have thought a couple of years ago Sanchez would not be in the game? And when he does get in the game late, he gets in a, he gets put up in a stupid situation, uh, you know, where, where, where he can't do damage. And, and he swings to the first pitch because it's his way of saying, you know what? I don't even want to be here. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's a question too. Do they cut themselves from Gary Sanchez? So, the point you make about McCann is good. I think that, I think he does a good job with the pitchers, but he needs to work on some things too. All these guys can get better. Kevin, you foreshadowed one thing there. Sounds like you have some concerns that Degrom, not that he can't be great. I mean, he was another video game level this year. Probably not going to see that again. Well, we'll see. But you don't think he's going to be more than me? Could he be a five inning, six inning guy now? Heavy restrictions? Are we holding our breath? You know, this was a weird injury. Did he have a tear? Did he not? We don't know. DeGrom says one thing. The Mets say another. Very weird how this all went down. I'll leave, let's let's wrap up with that because DeGrom changes a lot, even though he's one guy and he's a pitcher. Him not being who you expect, that changes a lot of things here. Yeah, and I think he will get back to who he can be, but here's what he has to do. He needs to – he got infatuated with the 100 mile per hour pitches mm. like they all do, and that's, that's human nature. Sure. Uh, Dial it back. You could strike out yeah. a pitcher at 95. Oh, my God. It's about command, and he knows that. And I think I think he nailed something there. I think there was a disconnect between the people who were in charge of the, the medical people. I'm talking about not, I'm not talking about the trainers. Let's make mm-hmm. this clear. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the people above the trainers who oversee. Uh, I think uh, I think it was a disconnect with Degrom on that. They didn't. They weren't on the same page. And in in that, here's my here's my standing SOP, standard operating procedure. On that player knows his body better than they do. When I start hearing things like these little nerdy assistant GMs who shouldn't even be GMs or intern GMs talking about that they need to follow the protocol, you know, Zach Scott doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He proved it. Uh, drinking water is the problem come on yeah, i mean that i heard that drinking water is the problem that is some overpaid and the yankees have the same problem by the way they have overpaid people in charge medically who really don't know the nuts and bolts of it and it's what it's it's washington dc bureaucracy in baseball you see a lot of that oh, in the bureaucracy see, a lot of real life in uh in baseball yeah it's come very corporate the bad part about corporate america seeped into baseball and uh it used to be kind of like outside of that, but that's sports today. And that's what happens when you bring Wall Street in. There's good and the bad, Kevin. You start bringing Wall Street in, they got a lot of money and they got great ideas, but you let them into the hen house and, and now you really can't get them out. You can, but it's going to take someone very strong and you'll get a lot of criticism because, you know, the, the press is mainly uh, in that camp right now. It's been building. It was building for two decades and Moneyball started it. And maybe it's a Moneyball guy that comes here and uh, balances things out. And Billy Bean, who knows, right? Because this is critical. I think the Mets are at a critical historical standpoint where if they screw this up, you're going to lose a generation of fans again, like you did when the Yankees won the World Series in the late nine in the mid nineties. Let me make one more point about Billy Bean, which I find again. I look at I look outside the box. I found it very interesting 
uh, and, um, and I don't know if you saw the piece I wrote with Ed Lynch after uh, after the uh, the uh, the uh, thirty for thirty on the Mets came out. Mm-hmm. You know, I did. I'm in Queens, which was excellent. But it showed you what real baseball is like. And like Ed told me, he said, if I didn't get the bunt down, somebody be sitting yep. at the top of the dugout. And and of course, this is what makes Lumi a little different. I get a little deeper. I said, well, who would that somebody be? And he said, it'd be Keith Hernandez. Right. And Mets said, don't have we, that. What would he say to you? He would say, "Get you know, he, he'd MF me, and, and he'd say, get that down. And you know what? From that point on in my career, I, I got most of my bunts down because I, I tried mm-hmm. hard. So, 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 so the Mets really, you know, Billy Bean, I found it interesting that Billy Bean, again, I know they did their homework and interviewed a lot of people. Billy Bean had a pretty prominent role in that video, in that, in that film. And really, for a player who really wasn't, had no impact on the Mets. Sure, sure. I'm so I'm reading between the lines, just knowing Billy, uh, Billy, Billy okayed for all those in, for that interview because he wants to get his face back in New York, at least to get, at least to get on, on the, uh, you know, to get on the radar. And so, so that's another, to me, that's a small be, hint. Be careful what you wish for. It's par- look, look, there's a lot of wrong with California, but it's paradise out there. It's laid back. You come into this cauldron, you got a bunch of Kevin Kernan's coming at you. You got an all different world. Kevin, um, ball nine, great, great writing going on there. You and a bunch of others. Aaron Rodgers Sports Database. What do you got coming up? Uh, again, you've been very generous with your time, but uh, give us a little idea of where America's most beloved sports writer. And if you don't know by now what that means, if you're listening, Kevin's not going to tell you. So you got to figure that one out. So go. Ahead. Look it up. and uh, <laughs> Look it up. Check the boxes. It's not necessarily true. It's ironic. And, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I write it every, every Thursday, every Sunday for ball nine. Uh, when I have the time, I do pieces for Aaron Rodgers, which is a great website because you can do things like, and I really dealt into the 78 game be, before the playoff game, talked to Goose Gossage and Goose said, one of the things Goose told me was that there was a sound. And I remember this, there was a sound in that 78 game that was unlike anything else, a low murmur, the anticipation and nervousness, and it never left the ballpark. And uh, so, so we can really delve into some good things. I did uh, Al Leiter and his son Jack. I did Piazza, um, but, but Ball Nine. I'm every Wednesday, every Sunday, and, and again, it's whatever I want to write about. So there's no editors getting in, and you know, there's no. They may people can suggest, but it's it's my thing. And be, when we get in this time of year, I really look at baseball, basics of baseball. Try to dig deeper into what really happened. Because, like, in your fine intro, you, you just said this. And it's not long. When you read my pieces, it may be 2,200 words. And, my, and when I used to work for the Post, it was, like, 800 words. Um, but but it's, it's it reads fast because it gets right to the heart of the matter. It gives you a lot of information. So it's really not long form. It's 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 to the point form. And uh, and so it can deal with anything. I mean, I, I've, um, I'm actually talking to someone now. I, I do stories from... From back when too, you know, I can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I dealt, I, I found some people when Yogi Berra was in a submarine base and the people that were, you know, relatives of the people that were there. And they gave me some unbelievable insight of what Yogi, how Yogi played ball in the military, you know, and what that was all about. So it can be anything from a shoes, Joe museum um, to, to, uh, I, I actually found someone recently who has these great old tapes of, uh, some Hall of Famers from the 80s when these guys were in their 80s. It's kind of like lost tapes. So uh, at some point, I'm going to do that. But right now, this this month, I'm going to uh, deal mainly with what I'm seeing in front of me on the baseball field. 
Well, you always rankle the masses when you come on. So we'll be curious to see what the tweeters think. I love it. You're a good friend of the show. Thank you. Do this on a weekend. Be well. You're out down there in Florida. Enjoy the weather while I get ready for snow and and fall over here in New York. So be well, Kevin. We'll t- do this again. All right, my friend? Mike, always good. Thanks. All right. Take care, Kevin. Bye-bye. That's Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, Ball 9, Aaron Rodgers Sports Database. Good stuff. All right. Let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Love Kevin Kirk. Always comes on. And look, we should send this to Steve Cohen, right? We should send this program to Steve Cohen. Let him listen to it. Let him know what the, the, the real scoop is on how to rebuild the Mets. I think there was a lot of good nuggets in that segment. So hope you enjoyed it. One thing I'm going to ask you guys, if you want to reach out to me, Mike Silva at com. Uh, no G, as I always say. Uh, let me know. One of the things I've been looking at with this new partnership is analytics. Funny how we just bashed analytics a little bit, but what it did tell me is that uh, at times people dip in and out of the show because you're looking at a show like this that's an hour plus. I don't think it's terribly long, but I know that sometimes it's difficult to dedicate that time in, in, in one sitting and what have you. I'm wondering if breaking the show up into two or three smaller shows on the feed would be something that you'd enjoy. So want to hear from you, Mike Silva at podcast.com No G, let me know. And I'm glad that we're back up on Apple. I know that there was a little bit of a lag there for a week or so, some stressful times getting the transition. But with the help of the good folks over at Minute Media, I could not say enough about them. And uh, big things to come. I think there's tons of good stuff coming here with this show. And as as I've been saying, we want to grow each and every year and take the next step. And hopefully we've done that, and I believe we have. And I want to continue to give you more and better content. I want your time dedicated to this show to be rewarded. So I want to thank you uh, again for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Really little teaser here. There will be a Talking Mets short coming up this week. I had a chance to sit, sit down with the director of the 30 for 30 once upon a time in Queens. Now I know we did a show about that with Eric Sherman, but Nick Davis, the director of the show, joined me last week. You'll hear that short in the in the next few days. We'll let this one marinate a while. I don't think the Mets are going to be making a ton of news where we have to come in with a special edition of the show. It is the postseason, and then probably we'll step back a little bit, uh, see what the landscape is, and then amp this thing back up. So we might take a week off here at some point during the postseason as the news dies down, but. You'll be getting shows every week. We have a, a great partnership with the Fan Sided. We want to continue to get out there and support those guys. Go to risingapple.com and uh, and check out the Fan Sided Podcasting Network. They got tons of of other podcasts, not just sports. Great stuff. So uh, I, I was amazed when I went through the database of what these guys are doing. So try to support them as best as you can. All right. I want to thank Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, at AMBS underscore Kernan. 
for joining me today. Check them out at Ball9 and Aaron Rodgers Sports Database. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkamentspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can just show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, now Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkamentspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkamentspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another show pretty soon. Be on the lookout for the Nick Davis short. Nick Davis, director of Once Upon a Time in Queens, ESPN 30 for 30. A great sit-down I had with him. That'll be coming soon. Till then, take care, everybody. Our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.